Welcome to Tea with Queen and Jay podcast. We experienced a tragedy recently, so we're doing things a little bit differently this week. Just a heads up to our new listeners. If you want to get a vibe from what we normally do, just listen to a previous episode. Yep. They are all fucking dope. Or you can hang out with us and kind of see where we're going with this one. But we lost a friend this past week. So just a content warning for death and loss for anybody who is not in the headspace to engage with that kind of content matter if you know us and you know our podcast and you haven't heard on social media then we also want to give a content warning for personal loss as you may know our friend so there is your content warning there's your heads up make your decision now if you want to turn this off for now and come back to it or if you are going to stick around last week our friend nikita slade of queer walk podcast passed away from natural causes as far as we know it was not from any previous illness but like a random act of what the fuck Mm-hmm. yeah so natural causes just a random act of like what the fuck we loved nikita we met nikita in 2017 when we did bonfire radios audio fest that was back in the day when you could hear us back broadcast the, on bonfire yeah. radio mm-hmm. you like like it it 2017 doesn't sound ancient but like in our lives that shit was like prehistoric yeah this is is pre-pandemic so it's a different it was a different time like it's, different it's like a really long time so many away. hairstyles oh my like God. so many wigs ancient mm-hmm. shit right so bonfire radio we were it was you know we were always a podcast, but for a certain period of time, we were also broadcasted live on, well, not live, but whatever, on Bonfire Radio. Yeah. They had an annual audio fest in the summertime. So this was the second audio fest that we had done. And Queer Walk was invited to broadcast live. Mm, yeah. And we had already met Money previously yeah. i'm not sure i'm not sure how far before or if it was at the pot and live that same year but anyway we already knew money yeah and she had brought nikita with her nikita wasn't yet on queer walk podcast officially but she had brought her with her to do this live like interview because at that time money was still solo podcast right yeah yeah so i just remember meeting nikita i remember so basically bonfire radio audio fest it was like they did it on the roof of the station on the roof of the building where the station was and it's a live broadcast so while anybody was up there most people were like being quiet and observing yeah. like what mm-hmm. was happening or whatever so when we met nikita nikita was just kind of sitting in the cut quietly i usually In situations like that, when I don't know somebody, I'll look and I'll smile, like a a kind of smile, hello. Yeah. And she wasn't, Nikita wasn't rude. She was just quiet and stoic. And, you know, I think she gave like a polite, silent greeting, but just stoic, quiet. And Nikita presents very masculine, masculine lesbian presenting, haircut, you know, and that combined with her, I think, stoic appearance in that moment when she got on the mic <laughs> and I heard her little dainty voice and her little dainty <laughs> mannerisms. I just like my, my whole mind was flipped. I was like, what is happening here? Not that I had assumed that her voice would be as deep as mine or anything like that. I did yeah. assume that she would be at least as masculine as I am. <laughs> you know? 
know what I'm saying? But like Nikita is just she's just she mad dainty, like, and I just not, thought it was this is not the stud reputation that I'm. This is not the shit that I'm, that I'm used, used to. to. What yeah. is this? Yes. Yeah, and and it was just you know, and of course we obviously masculinity should not be defined by anything. Of course, and it's all kind of you can be any t- kind of person. So I don't think that Nikita is an anomaly. I'm just saying in that moment. When she got on the mic and when they did that live show, that was not what I was expecting mm-hmm. to hear. Um, so I, I always remember meeting her because of that flip. And Nikita's daintiness, as I like to call it, is always yes. comical to me. She it just is. Literally period. is a clutch pearls person who would never fucking wear pearls. Like Nikita ever. is my daintiest friend. <laughs> Okay, <laughs> like I don't even just you know how your friends be like kind of a mirror of like who you are. So I don't even have friends mm-hmm. that are that quote unquote dainty, as I like to call it. Like yeah. she is my daintiest friend. So I always remember that moment. So, yeah, so we were there at the audio fest. And then afterwards we went um because, you know, I got to have a kiki. I got to unwind yeah. afterwards. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So we went for Mexican food afterwards and kiki and talk shit and laughed and that is how yeah that's how we met nikita do you remember meeting her i didn't remember until you told this story because to me it was Uh just like i just knew her she just was in my life and it just made sense like i didn't even have to i didn't need i I guess my mind didn't like have to have an origin story because right right i just naturally clicked with her i usually have to warm Mm. up to people it was just like instant even after she went back to syracuse when i would talk to money it was like she needs to be a co-host like it was just like right yeah we were all rooting for that yeah it was just like no that that needs to be a co-host that right there what we Mm -hmm. saw you know like whatever so i do i remember it this in a similar way not the i didn't do the i wasn't shocked about Mm -hmm. y'all didn't do those things in my brain but yeah that was a really really nice day and i'm happy that you brought that up because now i remember that day because i didn't remember mm-hmm, that right. day that was a really really fucking dope ass day. it was just a natural i think that's what it was and i think that's why i didn't have to like remember the moment because it just was just a right. natural kind of just like oh that's my homegirl like it just mm-hmm. it just did that for me so yeah so thank you for remembering that so i could have that memory again mm-hmm. Cause I I hadn't had it formally, yeah. I do remember um, mm-hmm. the few times we went to Syracuse. Cause her and Money were both living in Syracuse at the time. I would mm-hmm. never, ever go to Syracuse. <laughs> we have no reason to go to Syracuse. Nothing in se- Syracuse is sexy. The only reason that we went to Syracuse is because Money and Nikita lived there yep. and we loved them. Yep. And every time we went there, we had a good time. Like we time. didn't, we never felt like begrudged to go there. We wanted to go because our friends fucking lived there. Yeah. But no, if Money and Nikita did not live in Syracuse to this day, we would have never been yeah, in never. our lives. Even when I'm like, mm-hmm. when I would say like, oh, I'm going to Syracuse, da, 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 people be like, why? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to visit my friends. Yeah. Okay. But yeah, that's yeah. not, yeah. But I do remember going there, staying at Money's house. Their retreat that they had a few years back was mm-hmm. like great. Um, It was nice kind of just like chilling. I think going to Syracuse right. too did remind me that I did kind of like nature kind of stuff because I've always been into that. Just haven't really mm-hmm. like tapped into it. But I'm like, oh yeah, I do like this shit. I like trails. Mm-hmm. 
and grass. It was cold. Right. But still, you know, so um mm. yeah, it was always nice going to see Nikita and Money there. I, do you remember the time when we went and we was about to set it off together? I mean the time that we almost all went to jail for murder as oh. a podcast collective? <laughs> Yes, I remember. You mean that moment when I started crying silently because I knew that we was about to be in jail in Syracuse and I don't even live in Syracuse? Can I at least be in jail in this freaking city that I'm from? Yes, I remember that, yo. I thought we was all going to go to jail. We was all there together. This was... That's when um, they had the symposium. Right, yes, yes. The Queer Queer Podcast Symposium or Queer Walk Symposium. And so we was there... Inner Hole Uprising was there. Diamond, Diamond was, was there. there. Ishoke had come. She wasn't with us for the, the beatdown, but Ishoke was there <laughs> yeah. from Cheers and Queers. Mm-hmm. We were all there. It was a great fucking weekend. Yes. We were hanging out in Money's living room, and we heard Nikita screaming and cursing like someone cursing out. somebody out and screaming. But we had never, I would say at least me and Queen had never, never heard, heard before. Nikita get get like that with anybody yeah. so we all put our shoes on because we're in the house of course and we're black so we didn't have our shoes on so we put on our shoes run down the stairs we run downstairs and it was money's neighbor had said something to nikita about parking and it was like the last straw like she had been harassing her and we were all ready Red to murder her until D. some of us i was like oh no you actually are gonna like you're gonna tear this person yeah. apart um yeah like we but- were all at different degrees yeah. of like we're going to murder this person. And then it got real. And I was like, oh, we're, we're going to jail today. Jay was like, we, have, we had other plans. It's about to go down. So we're not going to see Harriet Tubman? Because we was going to go. I think we were going. Yes. <laughs> we were supposed to go see Harriet Tubman. We were supposed to go to Harriet Tubman's resting place. Yes. Which I think was further upstate or like like maybe an hour, hour drive away mm-hmm. or something like that. Yeah. So we have plan. We have shit to do. <laughs> we had shit to do. Some of us was downstairs. I put my shoes on, I think. I put mine on. I gotta put my shoes on. Some of us had no shoes on. So I just remember when it looked like we was going to jail, I just remember telling everybody, okay, go put your shoes on, get your stuff. Like, okay, let's go. It's time to go. We're not gonna be in the county jail with no shoes. (laughs) Not going to the county jail. Not going to the county jail, okay? With no shoes. At minimum, we're gonna have our shoes on. But yeah, for me, in a way, the way that I was raised and the things that me and my family did and the way I went about friendships was if I was ready to like fight with you, then your family. Mm-hmm. Um, and for me, right. even though I already knew, like I said, instantly it was like, oh, this is my homegirl. In that moment, it was like, this is my family. Like, I fuck with these people. Like, I was ready to mm-hmm. fucking go to war mm-hmm. <laughs> in Syracuse, that white ass racist place. Yep. You know, I, and then second, I didn't even think about it. It was just like, but this will be doing. We was about to be in jail in racist ass Syracuse. Okay, this is what it. All right, and for me, it was like, oh yeah, God. these. This is family here. This is not just like mm-hmm. I'm cool with them. I bet that right. <laughs> you know, like whatever. This is something different, and you know, maybe therapy could tell me to not bond with fights, but whatever. It it was for me. It was like a, mm-hmm. a, a moment, and I was like, okay, this is actually this is family. Yeah. After the possibility of of jail in a racist ass, a wild racist ass uh, fucking town had left, after that fear had gone away, then it was funny. But in the moment, I was like, we're all 
going to jail. I, I didn't even think about jail. It was just like, this is what we're doing. Okay. It was like, to me, it was a regular dispute. We're going to get this woman to like get off it and that'll be it. And it was regular. And there was a certain moment where it all switched. And I was like seeing everything happen in slow motion. I was like, oh, okay, so we're going to jail now. So let me prepare for that. Because that's what happens here. <laughs> but anyway, it worked out. Yeah, it Nobody went to jail. Yes. So that was that was a blessing. That was a blessing. Yeah, I remember that. I remember the the few times her and money have stayed at my house, being mm-hmm. up all night, kind of just like talking about everything. And when I say everything, I really mean everything. Like we could be talking about fucking black feminist theory to mm-hmm. Sid, because I like to make fun of Sid, to making the fun, music yeah, thing. to making fun of Nikita being an analog girl in the digital world. <laughs> yeah, they I'm can... the oldest thirty two year old. <laughs> When we met her, she was in her 20s. It's the oldest young nigga I ever, ever met. Yeah, ever. yeah. So I remember that. Those those memories I really lo- love and appreciate. And then in terms of their podcast, I always really liked listening to Nikita's segment when she talked about the word. And in that segment, she breaks down kind of like organizer liberation language and kind of mm-hmm. gives you the root of like where it begins, what it actually means and things like that, which I enjoyed because I usually get annoyed when a lot of liberation or organizing kind of language becomes colloquial. I usually get annoyed. Mm-hmm. And of course I want everyone to like learn and have language, but I always feel like it loses impact or loses definition and people start using it in different ways. Like right. just think about what the fuck people are doing to the word woke. So as an example, power goes far mm-hmm. from what, the origins of what black organizers and liberation people, how they've used these words. So I do like, I love that segment because she always kind of brought the impact back and made me be like, okay, right. this this word, because my brain is saying, throw this away. No, this word is here because of these things, because of these people, because mm-hmm. of this, you know, like whatever. So I always kind of really enjoyed that segment because it would bring me back. Because I, you know me, I'm quick right. to throw shit away. Like, ah, I'm not saying this course, you know, like whatever. Mm-hmm. But like Nikita would do a segment. <laughs> A white person said discourse on Twitter. I'm not saying it no more. That's it. It's over. It's dead. Where's it's a thesaurus. I'm fine. Oh my god! But it was just so That's many funny. times when Akita would do a word and give me so much context mm-hmm. that I could insert the impact back into it, and it, it, it would make it like, no, this shit is mine. It would remind me like this shit was ours. Like, no, what the fuck? You're not gonna do this to our mm-hmm. shit. So I just wanted to make sure that I let. Um, I have told her this, but I also wanted to like say it again, like why. I enjoyed um, her segment in the word and how it has mm-hmm. been helpful with me and not discarding language that has been created by us for us in these liberation mm-hmm. and organizing spaces. So that, that's yeah. been, uh, I'm going to miss that. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. If you have not listened to Queer Walk Podcast, be sure to definitely check out their catalog. Nikita, most weeks, most episodes would do this this word segment and like really break down some shit like Like, in depth like i would have to listen to it twice to catch everything you know what i'm saying Mm -hmm. so there are hours of valuable information there we are thankful to have her 
like thoughts and shit recorded we're thankful yeah. that that shit exists in the world mm-hmm. so we just want to make sure that people are utilizing that because we have access to it and because she left that legacy with us so we're definitely thankful for that over the years we got to spend more time with nikita we spent like a week in austin together for our first south by southwest yes. like we said we visited them both in syracuse i loved roasting nikita because roasting <laughs> is my love language and i felt comfortable with her and they were a good sport about it such a good sport yes such a good sport and would come back at me with something or like we could laugh together about it and i loved her laugh and she was just a good person to be around nikita was a brilliant black feminist socialist organizer who knew things was thoughtful she had answers to stuff back in 2018 nikita joined us for an episode on reparations again one of those words that as I Queen never just I never threw that one away though. <laughs> Cause I want them shit. You was getting upset with it. Yeah. It was, was over. It was being over. They was tying reparations was to anything. Get reparations yeah. coffee. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. It was it was a lot of that. It was a lot of that going on so she joined us on the podcast to kind of help us process what the fuck was happening and what's the appropriate way to use that term what that shit means as a concept as language as a theory and so that was a really excellent conversation that we're going to play in the second half of this episode it remains fresh and valuable dialogue and i'm glad that i re-listened to it i thought i was going to be too sad and the other day I was too sad, but I was able to listen to okay. it yesterday. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's still fucking fresh, evergreen, valuable content, valuable discourse. Is that word? <laughs> and uh, yeah, and I loved it. Just a content warning because we are going to play it. It does, to me, it does get sad at the very end. Mm-hmm. But if you cut it off before like the, the last minute, I would say of the episode, because we're just going to play that out and that's going to be the end of the show. Yeah. yeah. If you cut it off before then, it might not be so sad. It's just the goodbye. It's like, it, fuck. It, yes. Yeah. That's a lot. Yeah. So that, that hit me heavy. So things that have been comforting for me, at least during this period, is reading all of your lovely comments about Nikita on social media. Also, Queer Walk Podcast, which is money right now by herself. We want to make sure that we're acknowledging that. So money posted the memorial service on instagram so their instagram is at queer walk pod and that's queer w-o-c pod p-o-d and so for anybody interested in checking that out that was a memorial service that took place in syracuse last week you can check that out i think it was actually this past weekend Mm -hmm. You can check that out. Nikita's funeral expenses will be covered by her union. So we're thankful that her family doesn't have to worry about that. But her mom did have to travel from Virginia to Syracuse. And we know other unexpected expenses can present themselves when you lose someone. So if you would like to send financial support to Nikita's mother, you can cash app Queer Walk Pod. So that's, again, if you have cash app, that's a dollar sign. Queer W-O-C P-O-D and Money, who is, for those of you who are unfamiliar, Money is the, was the other host or is the other host on Queer Walk Podcast. So Money will forward the funds to Nikita's mother. Also, our friend Money lost her best friend and her co-host and has been doing a lot to manage this situation as well. So I know she drove from Washington State, which is where she lives now, or was living when this happened, to Syracuse and is going to make that trip probably at least another time. 
and is helping take care of Nikita's things and all that shit. So if you would like to send money financial support, you can also cash app Queer Walk Pod. When you cash app, please include a note that says what it's for. So if you if you are sending Queer Walk Pod money that you want to go directly to Nikita's mom, please just include a note. Yeah. There's a space in the Cash App app. It just include a note that says for Nikita's mom. Mm-hmm. If you want to send money, money for money, <laughs> please just make sure it says for money or for you or whatever because the fucking BBB is full of a bunch of ethical ass niggas. Yes. And if you don't tell her what it's for, she might give that shit away. So just be sure if you if you are sending funds to our friend money because you want her to have it, just specify that in your note, please. Mm -hmm. I'm going to read Nikita's obituary and then we're going to share the reparations conversation that we had with Nikita back in 2018. Just a heads up, we are grieving. So if we feel like it, we'll be back next week to do a podcast but Maybe. we might need to take a week off yep. yeah so we're just gonna do what the fuck we feel like we're not gonna you know set anything in stone we might feel like doing it so we don't want to say we're not gonna do it and we might not fucking feel like yeah doing it. this this took a lot to do so yeah yeah mm-hmm. yeah so we just want to leave space for we want to leave space for that shit thank you to everybody who has been sending notes to us notes to money over at queer walk podcast notes to the rest of the bbb just in celebration of nikita's life in condolences for her passing and yeah all right so this is the obituary i believe that money wrote this it says We celebrate our brilliant sister, dear friend, comrade, haiku poet, and Lisa's only baby, Nikita A.T. Slade. Nikita is our hilarious, self-proclaimed curmudgeon, a black woman in the trades, Texas-raised organizer, worker of and for the people, and proud proletariat black feminist. She's a lover of Luther Vandross. Fleetwood Mac, Dolly Parton, and Bruce Springsteen. She is a Tia, beloved girlfriend, and original Black Lives Matter Syracuse member. She is one of the machetes. She is all of these things and so much more. She is loved and she will be missed. We love you, Nikita. Love you, Nikita. So Jay and I are going to have a discussion about reparations. And what made us want to have this discussion was... I got highly uncomfortable when one of our donations was referred to as a reparation. And then I also got word via Twitter of a like kind of happy hour reparations thing. And I just was like, why is this word being thrown around so carelessly? Like, let's figure out what the fuck this is. Mm -hmm. And then I remember the episode of Queer Walk, Queer Women of Color, where one of the hosts, Nikita, kind of went in on the word reparations too and how it's kind of used carelessly and how it should be used or what reparations actually should be and what it is. So we figured, you know, we'd bring her into this discussion and now we have Nikita here. Yeah, so we wanted to bring somebody on. So we have the outrage, but we know that Nikita has the language. (laughs) Um, So Nikita has been an activist and organizer in environmental justice, women's rights, and anti-racist struggles for almost a decade. Currently, she is an organizer with the Workers' Center of Central New York, an organization committed to empowering and organizing low-wage workers. Nikita is also co-host of Queer Walk, the homie podcast, a podcast committed to highlighting and celebrating queer women of color. Nikita, welcome to Tea with Queen and Jay podcast. Welcome to Tea with Queen and Jay. Hey, thanks for joining us. (laughs) (laughs) Thank y'all for having me. Yes. Did I get your bio right? Did I get your intro right? Anything to add? 
Okay. No, that's, you know, just a general bad bitch. You know, <laughs> <laughs> you know that's right. That's casual right. bad bitch. You got to throw that in there. Yes. yes. So we talked a little bit about like kind of what made us want to have. Can you give us what, what would you say is a formal definition of what reparations is? So how I and well, I guess before I should answer, I should say, you know, I'm not no expert. I haven't studied this, but obviously as a black person and somebody who has um, been involved in organizing, it's something that I care about. So this is just stuff that I've been trying to think through and work Mm -hmm. through. So that's how I come to the conversation. You you know what I wanted to add? I also want to add just for the listener, for anybody who doesn't regularly listen to Queer Walk, um, Nikita is always dropping us socialist knowledge. Yes. Okay. She is uh, the resident queer communist. Yes. And so you, we see you as somebody who has knowledge in terms of like redistribution of funds and economics and shit like that. Um, so yes, we more than welcome your casual definition. It is better than ours. Wait, yeah, exactly. <laughs> which is why you're here. Yeah. Okay, I appreciate that. Yes, so yes. I understand reparations as being it's any form of compensation and acknowledgement and and repair for some kind of institutional harm, right, or a set of institutional harms and oppressions. And so I feel like that's like the, if I could give like a, a quick, dirty, succinct mm-hmm. uh, definition, that's how I would understand it. Mm-hmm. And I guess, I guess for me, and Queen can talk more about this, yeah. for me, I kind of, there's been, it seems like I feel a lot of times when we talk about reparations now, because it's not something that the U.S. government is going to, it doesn't, in the, in the present day right now, yeah. is going to acknowledge for us. I feel like because we make attempts to um, settle these things on an individual level sometimes that we end up underselling ourselves and kind of allowing people to use the term to mean whatever it is that they want want it to mean for the moment. And so I guess I kind of want to talk about like when is it appropriate to use that term and when is it not? not. Yeah, it's it's for me, I feel that people are using it in ways that are inappropriate for the most time, especially when I, I think that I've always thought of the definition that Nikita said. I just didn't have the verbiage for it. Mm-hmm. So if you are trying to ex- exhaust or get rid of institutional kind of, um, racism in that way you know like or or that kind of harm just giving me money isn't something that is with you taking ownership in the harm and in an institutionalized kind of way Mm -hmm. um so for me i've been seeing it and as a recipient of a person who has put my name in reparation groups and actually got some random white man to like send me three hundred dollars because he's like i'm white and i feel bad so here's some money so participating in that but knowing, like, this is weird. Like, something's not right here. Like, there's something missing mm-hmm, here. Mm-hmm. Your definition that you just gave gave me verbiage to what is missing. What, what um, is that what, ownership? Okay. And then addressing the systematic institutionalized harm that has been opposed on whoever you're giving the reparations from. It seems as if people just think giving the money kind of absolves that. Mm. Um, and that's the piece that is missing for me. Mm-hmm. But I didn't know what that was. I just knew I felt uncomfortable. Like, this is not enough. Something's missing. But right. I didn't know what that was until you just gave that definition um, to West Nikita. Right. So, um, I mean, and first, like, um, 
Like, don't get me wrong. I'm all about a white guilt donation. No, yeah, I took it. Same. I, I took it. Same. Like, <laughs> you, I, you would be a plum fool to not. <laughs> but like the an individual donation that you know a person in a dominant group or a person in, in an in a press or an oppressor group gives can't be um, equated with uh, reparations. And I think like to the point about it not just being about like individuals is really important. Yeah. Um, and I think, like, I just saw that thing around, like, Portland, and they had that little drinks. Like, giving you, like, giving somebody a $10, like, gin and tonic, that actually really <laughs> cheapens, like, the the importance and, like, what the fight for, like, reparations um, was. And it's, like, that bar, I mean, of course that bar is, I'm sure it's complicit in all kinds of bullshit. Yeah. But when I, something that I've come to realize or that I think is important is that it's a specific, it's. A reparations is it's something in response to again a specific set of harms, right? So, like on the show, like when we talk about, um, like when I did when we did that episode during Black History Month, um, like it forced me to do like, even research about what the fight for reparations um, was in like yeah. the mid to late nineteenth century, and it was like it was a specific redress for um, formerly enslaved um, Black folks, and that's where the whole like forty acres. And a mule came from because there was 400,000 acres of land that were supposed to be um, given um, to black folks. And an important piece is that that land was supposed to be expropriated from those who were the slave owners and then given to the people, oh. who, the people who were formerly um, enslaved. And the sad part is that like black folks actually never got that. Mm-hmm. Right? So there was a there was a redistribution of land. So that was one of the pieces. And the second part was that. Within you know within that within that geographic um, land within that region, then black people were supposed to have political autonomy over themselves um, as well. So it wasn't just like you know it wasn't just like a formerly like a former slave owner being like I'm gonna give you some shirts you know and some pants and some shoes. <laughs> Right. It was it was a collective expropriation of resources and land that was originally stolen, mm-hmm. right? From people who were owning, you know, owning us and then giving it to the people who were like formerly um enslaved. And so I think that that piece that it's you know, it's institutional and something that I'm always like talking about. Like if you listen to the show, like always focusing on the collective, right? Yeah. So it can't just be about giving like one from one individual white person to like one individual black person. Is again, what were the what were the specific set of institutions and players and actors that were involved in creating and benefiting from the harm, give, and then giving those resources back to, you know, the people who were um, on the receiving end of that oppression and that harm. Right. You mentioned um, the Portland drinks uh, party thing. Did you want to tell yeah. us what happened with that, Queen? So I, too, was like on Twitter and came across that. And I ended up in a thread between the creator of that event um, randomly, because I, I don't know how he got in my mentions, but that's besides the point. Mm-hmm. Um, his name is Cameron Witten, and he has he has the Brown Hope Foundation, okay. Brown Hope organization. So basically, what he was saying in the thread was what that was, what's, what was the event? Um, it was a ten dollar happy hour for reparations kind of thing. Okay, and. There was articles about it. There was a New York Times article that's the one that was most popular, and it presented it as if you paid white people paying for people's drinks mm-hmm. is what it looked like. Not only was was the article, um, I think, triggering for a lot of people of color, black people in particular, but also the image of black and brown uh, 
people holding ten dollars, smiling like this is oh I got like I got my ten I got my reparations like that. That was everything's okay now. Right, that was what was the most I think triggering for me because I'm routinely talking about and we do that here. Um, on Tea with Queen and Jay talking about redistribution of funds and taking your money, um, taking privileged money and putting it towards black women or putting it elsewhere. So like I'm down for free drinks, but this the the these smiling black faces holding these white ten dollars with the the label reparations on it, that was that was I wasn't feeling that. Yeah, that but. was the part that for me I wasn't right. feeling either. And it just made me think like, wait, what are people doing with this fucking word, you mm-hmm. know, to begin with? So like I said, I ended up in this thread and I Cameron was basically saying that this event was not about drinks. It was about taking space in predominantly white places since since that part of Oregon is mostly white. So white people were not allowed to attend the event, but they were allowed to donate $10 to the event. So the Eventbrite was $10. You were for a white person or if you're a white person, you can buy a ticket for $10, but not in 10. And then now there's these black people and this usually... Mostly white space. So that's what it was supposed to be. And they feel that it was marketed wrong. I still think that the word of the use of the word reparations is just like poorly like placed. Like you could have did something else with that or whatever. Um, but yeah, so that's what it was supposed to be. According to Cameron was this black people or black, black and indigenous people, indigenous people taking up spaces that are usually for white people and white people paying for them to be in that space. Mm-hmm. Um, but to call it a happy hour and reparations happy hour, that's for me the ill placement and ill use regardless of what they were trying to do. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think the other piece that that's bothersome to me is that people think like the stuff that we fight for every week, dismantling white supremacist, patriarchal capitalism and which would be inclusive of reparations. Yeah, I feel like a lot of people don't believe that that's possible and real Mm -hmm. and tangible. And so um, I think that we end up settling for things like putting putting that word, which is a real heavy thing Mm -hmm. that that we are like fighting to actually achieve, we end up putting it on lesser things like a happy hour on lesser thin, lesser things like a group, like, Oh, here, mm-hmm. give me $300 type of thing. Yeah. When I I'm all for a happy hour. And I do believe that we should be redistrib- redistributing our funds to not our funds, white funds to black and brown people sending $300 paying for drinks, shit like yeah, that. But we need to be clear that that's not reparations. right because the fight for reparations is still a real and possible thing. And if we don't talk about, um, if we don't continue to talk about like systemic and institutional reparations from the government, from the U S government, if we don't continue to talk about it in that way, then it never happens. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like we need to talk about these things that a lot of times and ta Coates said this, um, when he was kind of doing press runs for his article, the case for reparations, mm-hmm. a lot of people only think in terms of what is possible. What, what can you get past the government right now? Right? Like what laws can we pass? So people are only thinking in this most immediate terms based on, Who's in power right now? Who are who's in the House? Who's in the Senate right now? We think in those terms instead of thinking, okay, what do we actually want? You know what I'm saying? Instead of thinking about what we actually want, we start thinking about, okay, what's going to get passed? Mm -hmm. Which is why a lot of times people don't use words like reparations. We don't go full throttle for the things that we actually need. And if people like us don't go full throttle, if organizers don't go go full throttle and talk about 
reparations and the things that others deem to be impossible, then they never get done. There was a time when the notion of slavery um, in the U.S. being abolished was thought of as an impossible thing. thing. You know what I'm saying? Like, we have to talk about these things. We have to talk about the impossible as if they are possible, you know? You literally just stole my point. Girl, I ain't even got nothing to contribute. <laughs> tell well, us. Tell us. No, that is exactly what I was about to say. Like, one of my favorite chants, like, from, like, protests and stuff is, like, we are unstoppable. Another world is possible. Mm-hmm. And it's, like, and it only seems, like you, I mean, just like Jay was saying, it only seems impossible until you actually get it, right? Yeah. So, you know, um, like, I mean, I was literally just about to use that example. Like 1865, I mean, slavery had been, um, you know, it, it was at its peak, you know, at full force for like, what, 200 years, mm-hmm. you know, by then. And I'm sure that last generation of enslaved people, their, you know, their parents and their grandparents had never thought that this, you know, this vile barbaric system of bondage would ever come to an end. And yeah. yet, you know, that happened. Yeah. And, um, like, just to um, put it another way, it's not even about, I mean, it is about, you know, that's the job of an organizer. It's not just to say, what is it that we want? But the reality is, is that what the fuck is it that we deserve? And I think that that's what so, that's what is so, like, infuriating about that event. Having the event is fine, but, like, $10? Even if, like, 20 <laughs> yeah. gave $10, the the mass levels of expropriation that have happened, I mean, that's in the trillions, yeah, right. Exactly. And so a ten dollar bill, like it's really a slap in the face. And um, I guess like another um, thing that I wanted to uh, point out was that in um, I think it was 1825. Um, so this is like 20, 21 years after Haiti, you know, wins its fights, you know, valiantly, like for its independence. France put, tried to make no, they didn't try. They made Haiti pay. I think in today's dollars, it's like $90 million, yeah. mm-hmm. right? And so for a long time, so in 2003, Jean, uh, Jean-Paul Aristide or Jean-Bertrand Aristide presented them with the bill, right? And said that this is what you owed, right? And there's there's no amount of, um, this is what France owes to the nation of Haiti. And it, you know, it speaks to the fact that um, that kind of long ranging, you know, long standing like devastation over the course of what two hundred years. Like to think that a ten dollar bill mm-hmm. for an yeah. amaretto sour, <laughs> <laughs> and that's the work drinks to get. Like, what the hell gets that Kool Aid? I drink? do. It's delicious. That's a Kool Aid. Drag get some, some Kool Aid. Drag me. We yeah. You you were um you will be summarily dragged. <laughs> <laughs> But again, like, that's what, like, I think that that's offensive. Like, I mean, and again, it's, it pales it's highly offensive. to like what we actually um, deserve. And going back to the point, just the point that I wanted to make about um, like organizing a fighting to get what it is that we want. Like on when we did our show, I brought up the, um, the organizing that had happened in Chicago around the John Burge. Yeah. Um, yeah. Systems. And it was like, there's nobody like, And I think, like, the nihilism and the defeatism that people have is like, oh, we're never going to get it, right? Tell it. But it's like, it's only once people come together and say, this is what we want and this is what we deserve and this is how we're going to marshal our resources and our power to get it. That's when we actually win. Do you know what I'm saying? So about the John Burge torture victims, I mean, Mm -hmm. 
for 20 years, this um, lieutenant or captain or whatever high-ranking uh, piece of racist uh, garbage he was, mm-hmm. was literally torturing people um, in Chicago. And it was in this it was in this place, and it, I think it was like some, some building that was in the neighborhood. And people in the neighborhood said that they could literally hear the screams of people being tortured. Um, in this in this building um, in Chicago by people by John Burge and you know his little uh, white supremacist cop foot yeah. soldier. When was this again, please? Where? When, when? When? Oh, this was. It happened over the course of twenty years, from like the eighties, somewhere like I think the beginning of the eighties to like the early um, 2000s. Wow. So this was happening again for twenty years, and so what they won, uh, which was, and again, you know the the people in power are not, they don't do anything out of the kindness of their hearts. It's only when, you know, pressure is applied when they actually give us um, the things that we actually um, deserve, right? So nobody's going to give us anything uh, because it's not in their interest to do so. But so they got $100,000 for the victims of the uh, people who were tortured uh, by uh, the folks in this dude's administration. They got, um, there. there's a section in that the, the Chicago public schools curriculum that says that they have to teach students about the the torture that was happening and then there's also hold on let me uh, let me flip through my notes real quick so i can make sure i get this right (laughs) well those are literal literal notes like on a paper (laughs) yes come correct (laughs) (laughs) there's public recognition of the torture through the curriculum and through memorials and this is also important is that they also uh, were forced to give some kind of recovery services for victims mm. and their families. So free tuition to any of the city colleges um, in Chicago, uh, free job placement programs, mental health services and, you know, the financial funds. So it's like this, the city of Chicago would not have done that unless, you know, young black organizers in Chicago were leading that fight for reparations for victims of police torture. Yeah. Right. And then you also like the, the way you broke it down there, there are several layers to the reparations. Yes. You know what I mean? It's not just, Oh, here's a bunch of money. Like in some of my research, I, I saw that there were, there are five categories or one theory is that there are five categories of reparations. So there's restitution, compensation, rehabilitation, satisfaction, and guarantees of non-repetition. So those manifest themselves in a bunch of different ways and they don't necessarily happen um, in isolation of one another. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's it's more than just, oh, give me a bunch of money, you know, to, I don't know, do whatever. Yeah, it's not just money, it's also services. And I think that's the part that is missing when people are in these um, reparations groups or having fucking happy hours we're not talking about the services also that people should be afforded um, due to systematic institutionalized racism and oppression, you know? Um, you mentioned in the episode that we keep referring to, that's episode 34 of the Queer Walk podcast, you referenced, uh, um, I think it was a bill that cannot be passed and the bill is only about research, it's not even about actual reparations. Oh, yes. Yeah. So for the last, again... 20 years, mm-hmm. this, I mean, 25 years. I mean, this shit is ridiculous. So there's um, a representative in the, at the federal level in Congress, John Conyers, and every year for the past 25 years, he introduces um, House Resolution 40. And again, it's just calling for a study 
into the effects of slavery um, and, you know, putting forward potential recommendations. Mm-hmm. So it's not talking about any kind of distribution of funds. It's not calling for any kind of action, just a study to try to figure out the scope of what reparations or like not even what reparations, but also what the what the scope and the lasting it, like impacts of slavery um, have been. And like that, it can't even make it to the floor. So it wow. can't even come to a vote again, just to just to study, just do a, li- a little bit of research. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's how um, like that's that's just how much like the federal the government US... won't touch reparations. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So this is a, a point that I wanted um, to make. I think I might have made it on the episode. I don't remember. But how I grew up always hearing about reparations was in it's very connected to like the I the fact that the US is a very like individualized kind of country, right? Mm-hmm. We're all about the individual. And I remember people thought it was so ridiculous. I, and even I believed that they were like, oh well, well, you just gonna give a check to every black person? How you gonna do that? Right. And then like <laughs> you said it in the right voice too. How you gonna do that? <laughs> right. And it's like, but the thing that like really like totally transformed how I thought about it is that it's like black people as individuals, obviously you know, are not just impacted, right? It's like black, it's whole black communities that have been on the receiving end of like decimation and annihilation and deprivation for like, you know, the past 400 years. So how is it, how can reparations be, um, you know, be, be given out at the, at the, at the level of the, at, of the collective, right? At mm-hmm. the, at the level of community. Right. And that I remember when I when someone like posed that to me, I was like, oh, like that that actually makes um that actually makes you know far more sense. Right. And and, and the important thing about that is that systematic um like redistribution is also more important for like the long term. Yeah. Like you could cut me a check for like, you know, a hundred thousand dollars, but that doesn't do anything for like my arguably that doesn't do anything for like my future children, you know, the, you know, and the children and the generations like beyond me. And it doesn't do anything to make, um, to begin to even make communities whole. Right. And I feel like that's like an important piece. Cause like whenever I heard, I, again, whenever I heard about reparations as like a young person, you're just like, Oh, uh, so you just going to give everybody an individual check. And it's like, no, it's like, that shows how limited our imaginations, you know, can be about how, you know, communities can be repaired and begin to made whole. Mm-hmm. Um, so Cynthia Nixon, who is formerly of sex in the city, but is currently running for governor in New York. Recently, they were talking about cannabis legalization of marijuana in New York. And she got in trouble for mentioning reparations when she said arresting people, particularly people of color for cannabis, is the crown jewel in the racist war on drugs. And we must pluck it down, which I totally agree with. We must prioritize them in terms of licenses. It's a form of reparations. Um, So that I mean, she got in trouble by a lot of black folks who are kind of feeling the same way that we're feeling about it, that you can't just kind of throw that word around. And I definitely agree with her. And to me, that, again, is like redistribution of funds and opportunity. Um, I agree with her that people of color should be put at the front of that list for being um, licensed to be marijuana sellers and whatnot. Um, But, yeah, I wouldn't I also would not call that reparations. Yeah, like it doesn't take much to just say redistribution of funds or like remedying 
the mistake we made before. Like, you can say those things. Like, you don't have to just throw out the word reparations, but it seems that lots of people are doing. I just don't want the weight of that word um, to become something light, you know? Mm-hmm. I also feel like there's a lack of understanding. Like, there are people who are already, there are people who are triggered by the term reparations because white people don't want to give up power or anything. And there's this mis, uh, there's this notion of fairness, that fairness exists, and it doesn't. It doesn't exist in this society, and it doesn't exist um, when you live in a white supremacist society. So that notion that, oh, people are going to come and try and take from me, mm-hmm. and that's not fair. Oh, but also, I think using language like redistribution of funds, it makes white people uncomfortable. It makes a lot of people uncomfortable. So I think sometimes people find it easier to say reparations since it's already the language that's like, you know, people have some understanding of what it is, whether they hate it or not. Um, I don't know. I I wish that we could broaden the language on that and find ways to, I think a lot of times people are trying to find ways to speak to white people. I think, I feel like the word reparations though in the U S you just see a black person. Mm -hmm. Um, And we already know how imagery of black people are tied to certain words to make you not be about it. So I think using language like redistribution of funds is less scary than the word reparations because Mm -hmm. you just think of a black person when you Mm -hmm. think of reparations. Mm -hmm. Um, So it makes sense to me for people to start using different language um, so that it's not always tied to giving black people money, even though that's what the fuck we want. But you know what I, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, it's a, be, it'll be a different way to to market it or whatever, I guess, if you wanted to think of it in that way. Because they hear reparations and they think of the niggers. And, you know. Mm-hmm. Whoa, the niggers! <laughs> and I feel like that's exactly how meetings in the, um, in like that halls of power go, Oh, the niggers! <laughs> <laughs> but actually when, um, so in preparation, like, uh, to being on the show, like, it, y'all made me, um, like what y'all are getting at right now is something I started to think about um, in preparation for the show. Mm-hmm. So I feel like there's um, there's a little bit of a tension here. So one, um, I think it does make sense to talk about a sort of reparations. And again, in my definition, when I talked about reparations, it's you know it's some kind of institutional um, compensation or repair for a specific set of harms. Mm-hmm. And so I think that there should be some reparations specifically for you know the victims of the war on drugs. Yeah. Right. Um, I think that um, I'm not creative at this point. At, to figure out what those um, what those concretely should look like, but um, you know if there if there are going to be opening up of dispensaries, you know by all means, black people, you know, black and brown people should you know be at the head of that line. We should have some kind of quotas, 80 percent. You know that that should the amount of people that have been locked up and had their lives decimated by uh, the drug war should be the the amount of people should be the percentage that we uh, that we get in terms of these licenses. Um, I think that the um, the second thing, and they're mm-hmm. already starting to do something like that in California. Yeah, and they are and under the guise of. Uh, the reparations uh, for war on drugs. Mm -hmm. But I think the tension here is how can we make sense of when is it a specific call for um, reparations? And then when is it just a broad, broad demand for racial, economic, 
uh, racial and economic justice, right? So the fact that, because um, I went back to look at the Movement for Black Lives, their platform around reparations, mm-hmm. and their platform is basically all of the things that are like a part of a good uh, progressive policy. So like supporting the $15 minimum wage so Black people should have access uh, to um, you know a living wage, um, you know, black people should have access to, um, what is it? Universal, um, healthcare, healthcare, and also universal, like public, um, education. Okay. And, um, so like K through all the way through, um, higher ed. Mm-hmm. Right. And then, um, what else? Um, they also had something in there about including, you know, the history of slavery and like systemic racism yeah. and like public school curriculum, um, that kind of thing. But it's like, again, those are all things that we support um, broadly or actually, you know, those are all things that I support. And it's like, but it's not it's not exactly clear that that is that's actually not. So redistribution of wealth, which is something that should happen and it should happen, you know, arguably um, along, you know, you know, particular lines of like, of who's oppressed in society. But that is, that's not the redistribution is actually not the same thing as reparation. And I think it's really difficult to try to like disentangle um, the two. Gotcha. I don't know if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. No, it does. It does. What What would you say the difference is? So again, like reparations is something specific to, um, for like a specific harm, Got right? It. So the war on drugs would mean that Okay, there's this booming, um, obviously now because of uh, legalization of marijuana, there's going to be this booming industry, right? There already is starting to be this booming industry. And black people and brown people should be able to um, enjoy the fruits of this booming industry, right? So there's that. And then um, um, you had those five those five words. So that would, right. ar- that would argu- arguably be um, the compensation. And then, of course, there's the acknowledgement. So like... How could it be? How could that be um, acknowledged publicly? And what were the other things? Restitution, compensation, rehabilitation, satisfaction, and guarantees of non-repetition. So like it'll never happen again type thing. Right. So I feel like all of those things, so we could imagine all of that happening within like the specifics, specifically within like the, um, you know, this within talking about the war on drugs. So specifically there should be restitution, not just for, um, you know, the families and the people who have been, um, you know, locked away and thrown um, into prisons, but also for them and their um, families. Um, and then also something that I think is interesting that Cynthia Nixon didn't talk about is, um, so back in 2014, um, there was another gubernatorial candidate for the Green Party, um, Howie Hawkins, and his running mate, Brian Jones, um, they had this, one of their demands around, um, like, they framed it as reparations for the war on drugs, is that um, people need to be freed from prison. Like, people yeah. who are mm-hmm. locked up and thrown away, sh- you know, in, in the barbaric system of the punitive carceral state should, at, if nothing else, they, they should at least have their freedom, right? And so, again, those are all things that I think are specific to, like, the... Um, to like the war on drugs. Oh, also then people who should be, so I guess like the tension then becomes, we should say those folks should also have um, access to, like they should be moved arguably to the quote unquote front of the line for uh, higher higher education. Yeah. But 
if, if the general broad demand is for um, public high, you know, universal education for everybody, then it then on some level you could say it's it ceases to be a specific reparation for that one injustice, and then it's just a broader demand for um, racial and economic justice, like broadly. I mean, again, we support mm-hmm. it, but it's like when. So how do we make sense of that? Yes, again, going back and forth between the specific and then like these broad demands for right. justice. I was just going to say that I don't have um, the answer, but it's a tension that I see there. And I, it's not necessarily clear to me how to resolve that tension. Right. Well, you kind of answered my question a little bit because I, I was going to say, and I, and I do believe it's important, but I guess what, what is the importance or why is it still important to do things like redistribution of funds or like to do things like um, pay black women, yeah. donate to black women or or to even have have uh, this event that they had in Portland where you are taking up space as a person of color mm-hmm. and white people are paying for that, which I think is important. But I, again, think the way it was framed the was, it was definitely problematic. Was weird, yeah. Um, but, yeah, why is it important that we continue to do things like redistribution of funds, whether no matter how small or how big or whatever? What do you guys think? Well, OK, so. All right, you know I'm about to put on my little uh, black Marxist feminist hat. Oh, okay, oh, we here re- we go. We ready? Here we go. All I got right. my dark lipstick on. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, I think first and foremost, um, anytime you talk about, um, look, one of the the first things to understand specifically about capitalism is that all all labor and all wealth under capitalism is expropriated. It's like it's stolen from us, right? The fact that people um, have to work for a living or are expected to work, and then the value and the yeah the value that you produce um, for for your boss is like that stolen labor, right? I mean, mm-hmm. it's not obviously it's not the same thing as being considered property. It's not the same thing as being um, yeah chattel slavery. But under capitalism, all wealth is um, stolen. Right. So even when we talk about redistribution, I think that we have to push, we have to think about it on like a larger scale. Right. And so it's not just about the things that like, um, like these, like the, this event at this bar. Great. I think if they want to do that, you know, you know, was, I imagine it was on like a Friday, Saturday, whatever, whatever evening it was, I, mean, I ain't going to turn down no free drink. That's fine. <laughs> right. But we have to think about it again, like we were saying earlier, broadly in terms of like institutions and systems. And y'all mentioned um, that piece uh, from Ta-Nehisi Coates and like in that really long and that long form piece, he's really going into detail about how uh, black people were systematically excluded yeah. from home ownership. Mm-hmm. Right. And so it's like, there's there's not enough there's not enough uh happy hours in the world that can address black people having not having a fair access to housing. Do you yeah. know what I mean? So mm-hmm. that's that's a redistribution of wealth that has to happen at like at some of the highest echelons of of power of society, right? And then when you talk about um again going back to the idea of um 
Oh, no, no, no. I was going to say the living wage, but let's go back to talk about like the level of like the city or like the community. I I live in upstate New York in Syracuse and I have been cussing every day that I have been driving because the potholes in this city are uh-huh. out fucking pages. Yeah. I mean, it feels like I'm about to go into a whole fourth dimension. They're not, <laughs> they're not cute in New York City either. So, I mean, and the reason Jay why. Jay had a bumpy Uber ride here. That I'm still sick from it. <laughs> exactly. I'm like, I'm trying to go somewhere. I didn't like my drive to go somewhere should not feel like I'm on a ride at Six Flags. <laughs> you know what I mean? And like, the reason why the potholes in uh, Syracuse are so outrageous and so like terrible is because the city has basically been starved of funds because what happens, what has happened here, which has happened in other places is the tax base. So it's a lot of like, um, like middle class and uh, white professionals who live on the outskirts of town, so who have totally sucked like a, a, a viable tax base from the city. So the city has no money, mm-hmm. right? Or it doesn't want to tax, or it's a city that has no problem giving tax breaks to um, uh, these real estate developers who are going to build all this shit that no poor black folks or brown folks or even poor white folks can access in the city. But again, these are millionaires, billionaires building all these fancy luxury condos and all that kind of stuff, but they don't have to pay, you know, the taxes. So city, so the city can have good schools. So the city can have um, good streets, you know, just again, just so I don't have to pretend like I'm at six flags or fucking uh, (laughs) King's dominion on my way. It's it's at that level. Yeah. um, We need to be talking about um, redistribution of um, wealth. And a ripple effects and a ripple effects of redistribution. So like I'm going back to where you said that um how it was systematic that black people in America could not own homes and how that was, you know, just like a thing. And it makes me think of podcast friend Brunch and Budget, and they say one of the ways to get to wealth is by home ownership. So that ripple effect of not allowing us that one thing resulted in lots of other things um, as far as opportunity of wealth for black people here in the United States. Yeah. And I think that's for me, that's why that part was always offensive. I didn't have the language for it is that we're not talking about the harm, like this huge amount of harm. um, And you just giving me that little $10 for a drink or whatever is not really talking about everything. Like, yes, I'm going to drink the drink because I deserve it. I had a hard black-ass day. But let's talk about these other stuff. Let's address all of this other shit um, that's happening and going on, you know? Something that um, I wanted to, like, just to really, like, kind of, like, paint a very clear picture about what redistribution of, like, wealth means. The One of the large... I think the largest private employer of black people in the U S is Walmart. Mm. Oh, wow. And you think about, it's not a great place to work. I think exactly. Think about the poverty wages. (laughs) Think about the fact that Walmart will have you working 38, 39 hours. So you're not, so they won't make you full time. So you don't get access to uh, any kind of healthcare. Yeah. Right. But again, this is one of the, it's, I mean, what is it? It's gotta be in the billions right now. This is a huge huge um, company, right? And they can afford, they can afford to pay workers a living wage. Mm -hmm. And again, it's predominantly black and they can afford to make it so that their uh, workers have um, like good, good benefits. Right. But it's not, they've, they've never, well, I mean, they, people have been organizing, but they, 
the the level of organization has not materialized so that they've actually been forced to bend to give again to give to redistribute the wealth that the workers themselves create yeah they, they, workers are not able to enjoy in the fruits um, of their labor and so like that's really important and the other thing that I wanted to say about um, just like redistribution and specifically thinking about like companies like Walmart is that the extra money that they do have. The, the 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 hordes of money that they have, they then use it to influence politics, to then to put forth like regressive yeah. uh, economic, racial, and other social policies, right? Further eroding the living conditions of not not just like everybody, but specifically like of like black folks um, mm. and other like poor folks and brown folks, you know, queer folks and that kind of thing, like. Yeah. So can I still get money from white people, like on a personal individual level? Is that okay? Can you still get money from white people? Is it is it okay to breathe? I mean, Jay, what? <laughs> Listen, I know the answer. I just wanted to hear educated ass bitch say it, okay? So regardless of your answer, I was going to take it. I was it. still about to get this, this white money. Cause I'll take the money. I just wanted to white hear money, men money. I take it. I just wanted to hear from our resident expert uh, <laughs> that that was okay. And I was, the, I was socialist correspondent. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh God, I feel like I need a mic right now. <laughs> <laughs> Straight from the socialist headquarters. <laughs> uh, I was, there was that study from a while ago. And it said that like the black women's median wealth was like five dollars. Y'all remember that? I think that was oh from like two thousand ten. Wow. I mean, I didn't need this. Wait, wait. Say that again. Say I think I'm gonna say that again. The median wealth for black women is five dollars. So what? Like, that's, I know. I, I'm uh, like, I'm doing what? Five dollars? Five Amer- five American dollars? Oh, five dollars. I knew that already from personal experience from looking at my bank. <laughs> wow. That is crazy. Yeah, so that's 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 kind of that's why we always do our pay, pay black, black women, women, which is focused on black and indigenous women. Yeah. So that's pretty much how we roll over here is give black women, give black people your money and um do on a personal level, the white privilege, male privilege, those things exist. Yes. You know what I'm saying? Period. Sure. Regardless to what the government is going to do when they get to it or whatever, these things exist. And so I do think that doing things on a personal level is helpful. Let's just not call it reparations. Yes. Everybody right. relax on that shit. Yes. Relax on that. Fall back on that. Nikita, thank you so much. Is there anything that you want to add? I might. I just want to reiterate mm-hmm. this point. Yes. Can I do that? Do yeah, it. do it. So the only thing that I wanted to say is that um, like this conversation around like like individual uh, support and individual giving is that you think about somebody like a Bill Gates, right? Who Bill Gates and Mark Zuckerberg and all these other people, they have no problem giving to charity. You know what I mean? Like they they don't have no problem, and they and they love to give little black kids in Africa, little black brown kids in yeah. Chicago, and that kind of thing. But they so they have no problem doing that. But if we fundamentally got rid of the structures that gave them their wealth in the first place, they would they would go berserk. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I, like it's always because there's um I'm not gonna put them on blast, but there's this other um 
this nonprofit that says that's supposed to like connect wealthy like millennials or like wealthy young people to like supporting um organizing um you know specifically nonprofits of like low wage folks and like people of color and it's like that's important but it never gets at the root of where wealth comes from and like i said earlier mm-hmm. we understand that all wealth um is um like expropriated and stolen and yeah. just I always say this. I do this on Queer Rock, too. But this really is going to be my last thing. That's okay. Y'all go. But there's a study from uh, William Darity and Derek Hamilton, two black economists. So they put out this really groundbreaking um, study. It's like 60 pages. And they talked about why black people don't have, like, the same access um, to wealth, um, like, as, like, white folks. And one of the things that they mentioned, and because they talk, they talk a lot about like entrepreneur uh, entrepreneurship. And one of the things that I thought was really striking in that study is that they talked, they mentioned that um, what's that fool's name? Jeff uh, Bezos, Bezos, whatever the fuck, with Amazon. You sound like right? such an auntie. What's that <laughs> fool's name? <laughs> Sorry. Y'all, y'all know I'm like 29, going on a good 50. Oh, it's so funny. Um, but so, I mean, first of all, we've heard about the like the really brutal uh, labor practices at um, like Amazon, like people not just at like the the corporate level, but also like in the warehouses. I mean, it's really hot. People are passing out. And there's like there's a lot of like surveillance and control of workers. Like you have to do like you have to like pack X amount of boxes and like a certain amount of, uh, you know, time. I mean, it's just really, 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 really uh, brutal. And so, again, I mean. That's, I mean, that's like pure rank exploitation. But also before he even, when he started his um, his company, Amazon, he got a personal loan from his family of $300,000 to start his business. And it's like, how many black people you know can be like, mama, you gonna give me six figures to go ahead and start my business up? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah. Right. And it's like that just so he's he's already come from a family, you know, in a line of like wealth and yeah. privilege that we just don't have access to. So this idea that um like even I, mean, I think if black people want to start businesses, that's great. But it's like even in terms of like starting businesses and creating like creating wealth in that way, it's like we just don't have the same like access yeah. to Sources. It's like Martin Luther King said, like, you keep telling us to pull our bootstraps, but like, we don't got no fucking boots. Like, we don't got the boots. <laughs> right. And so, again, I just feel like it just, it's always important to point out, oh, okay, the, the last reading suggestion I'll give is called Black Awakening in Capitalist America by Robert L. Allen. He wrote the book in 1969, but the shit feels, I mean, you would read it today and it would feel like he's talking about now. And one of the things that he stresses in that is like, even if a black, like an individual black person is able to garner, you know, is to be able to beat the odds and be able to access and gain a certain level of wealth, that individual black person's wealth is no substitute and it can't translate into widespread like black collective and communal wealth, which is again, going back to the point about why wealth um, in society has to be um, redistrib- like redistributed. So are you saying that because Jay-Z is rich, right, that that has nothing to do with me and my wealth, right? I'm about to say... Because <laughs> people like to, like, well, you know, Jay-Z and be, You know, like, people like to 
do that as if we've made it because there are certain rich black people that exist in the Americas and it's like, nah, that doesn't mean anything. They right. They act like if like because um Beyonce and Jay-Z's like wealth is going up, somehow I see a rise in my bank account. <laughs> I check my bank account every day. It ain't, it ain't no new balances up in there. <laughs> yeah, mine either. Yours, Jay? No. <laughs> my, my bank account is <laughs> it's exactly. dry. It is dry and ashy. Absolutely. I think I saw a tumbleweed fly across my book the other day. You absolutely did. You did. Yeah. Nikita, yo, thank you so much for finally being on our show. Yes. We've been uh, begging you to come, and you know, you declined us several times. Oh, and we're oh, glad. No, we know you're busy. We know you're busy protesting and interviewing, um, you know, our black uh, womanist luminaries. Yeah. Um, but thank you for coming down and talking to us we yes please you. tell our listeners where they can find you where they can find your podcast and all the good things oh well first of all thank y'all so much um for having me it's so great to have y'all in the podcast community you yes. know me and money just love y'all so much we love but y'all too y'all uh the listeners can find us on twitter at queer walk pod um you can find us on instagram at the same and we're also on facebook queer walk colon the podcast and you can also just shoot us an email at queerrockpod at gmail.com yeah oh, let We're, me just say yes i'm sorry you can find us individually uh you can find money at melanated underscore money and you can find me at afro blazing guns on twitter instagram and all that other good stuff cool cool and your podcast where's your podcast where can i listen to it you can listen to it on SoundCloud, on iTunes, on Stitcher, and on Google Play. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Are you going to be speaking or organizing or working on an oil rig or anything anytime so. soon? I'm not going to entertain uh, these little <laughs> quips. The I do not work on an oil rig. Anymore. <laughs> I never have. But oh, okay. I have a job uh, coming up, so I will be on the proverbial oil rig in the next two weeks. Cool. Um, I'm still going to be like active and involved uh, with the worker center. We have a lot going on there, you know, supporting immigrants, especially in this like really tumultuous and terrible time, you know, mm-hmm. with the attacks on immigrants. So, oh yeah, bitch, still going to be busy doing stuff. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Nikita. We will probably see you soon or talk to you in the group chat yeah. probably in the next 40 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> see y'all in the group chat. Damn. All right. Thank you so much. We'll talk to you soon. All right, bye. All right, bye.